financial literacy, and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler, along with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram. Good morning. Good morning, Jess. How are you? I'm good. And it is another guest this week, which is always a great show. I love to have guests, and especially when somebody has something valuable to say. So I'd like to introduce our guest, Lisa Kent, who's an attorney. Very interesting uh, twist on being an attorney in her particular field. So she's from Esser Kent Family Law Practice in Amherst, Mass. And welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be here. Well, it's our our pleasure. So uh, a little disclosure here. I happened to get into a conversation with Lisa about a a mutual client, I think, and discovered that um, she practices divorce law, but in a very unique way. So can you talk a little bit about your mediation practice and and how it's different? Sure. Uh, Divorce law has thankfully evolved a great deal from the last century where we used to go to court and we used to have proved fault in divorce. Mm. Uh, and now I think it's safe to say that divorce mediation is the norm. Um, I like to think it is. And for those serious cases where uh, there's danger or uh, immediate threat to the family, uh, you, you do still go to the court. Actually, it's still a court-based practice because... Uh, to get a divorce is an unmarriage, and marriage is a legal status. So what we are doing in a divorce is to give you a new legal status of unmarried. Uh, so I and many others in the Valley, happily, practice divorce differently. And I'm really excited to tell you about that today. Uh, we... We do it in, in a number of ways. First of all, there's the mediation model. Uh, I am a mediator. I have been a mediator since 2005. Uh, mediation is divorce done where each member of the couple, each spouse, comes and they meet with a, a neutral. Mm-hmm. The important thing is mediation is the mediator is neutral and mediation is voluntary, and that's what makes it so great. Uh, mediation uh, is intended to identify issues, brainstorm ideas, and come up with agreements. That's one model. But it's not a one-size-fits-all model. Right. And so what I am involving toward is something uh, called collaborative law and collaborative practice. Yes. So I'll tell you a little bit about that. Yes, please. Because that, that was what interested me when we started this conversation was that, that you um, sort of pull a team of people together. Because we, we all know that getting divorced, anybody who's ever been through it can tell you mediator or no mediator is a very difficult thing. And it involves the whole family. And it involves more than just jumping backwards over a broomstick, right? And dividing up some assets. Right. So it's a complicated process. And, and, you have found, and many others, in fact, you just came back from a conference I'll ask you about in a little bit, but you have found a way to do this using a team. So please tell us more about that. Yes. Okay. Very excited about it. Uh, collaborative practice really started maybe 30 years ago by a lawyer named Stu Webb out in, I think he's from Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And Stu uh, was going to court 
you know, he'd been practicing for many years family law and arguing in court, then noticing he was going out to lunch with the same attorneys he was, you know, figuratively beating up um, and then just chatting and having a lovely time. And he, he just said, you know, we have to do this a different way. Mm. We have to do – we can do, do divorce using a team. And it started out with two attorneys basically promising not to be lawyers or aggressive attorneys, but to be more like counselors at law. Mm-hmm. And you would sign a participation agreement. And the participation agreement said, we are going to work as hard as we can to come up with a settle settlement. Because why not? Mm-hmm. 95% of all cases settle anyway. Yes. Why not start from the premise that you are going to settle eventual, eventually? And what that does is it cuts down a lot of the posturing, a lot of the, uh, the, the bravado that some some attorneys uh, mm-hmm. engage in to impress. Uh, and it really says, look, we're going to roll up our sleeves and get down to work. Mm-hmm. And what he, 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 he figured out that that was a really good model. But there's a very important part piece of that. Yes. In the, uh, the participation agreement, it says that should this not work out, we agree to fire our attorneys and start from scratch. Ooh, oh, what fun. Getting- <laughs> high, high stakes. It is. It is. Yes. I, I call it – I even call it the poison pill. Um, yeah. And at first when I started doing this practice, I didn't like it at all. I said, wait a second. I am a litigator and I should be with my client through thick and thin. And if this doesn't work out, yeah. I need to – Extract them from the clatter process and 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 take them to court where we can have the judge be the decider, mm-hmm. right? But I found what happened is you are then bargaining in the shadow of the court, yes, in the very shadow of that which you want to not be in, mm-hmm. and it people would go through it somewhat half-heartedly, or knowing. That they would have, they could still come out and use me. Mm-hmm. I recently had cases where I said, "No, we're going with that uh, poison pill and the the all out agreement," and it produced a better result. Much to my chagrin, I was proven wrong, <laughs> and I realized that even when things got very, very tough, where uh, the, the the children were. Uh, the children were having difficulty in this particular case, two little boys, and uh, they were trying to, as children are, uh, want to do, you know, reactive and saying things and, and really mm. playing, making the clients upset. What we were able to do was we were able to get ha- have a, a therapist mm-hmm. work with the family, right? which you would not be able to do in court because right. the court is not able to supply that service. Well, there seems to be a real incentive uh, if you're already mired in in this in the weeds on divorce, and it's already difficult for everybody. Almost anybody I've ever talked to will say, "I just want it over." In fact, I worry about them making knee jerk financial decisions because they just want it over. And so, I, it seems to me that the threat of having to fire your attorneys and begin again 
is enough of an incentive to, as you said, roll up your sleeves and get some agreement on the table. You don't want to start over again. Uh, I would think that that would be one thing. And the second thing is when we started talking about a team, when you say we involved a therapist, you know, lots of people out there might be saying, well, you know, I went through divorce and I had a therapist that came in and helped me. Yeah, this is part of your team. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what a, what a team for you in this collaborative law uh, is made up of? Yes. Comprises the team. First of all, there are many iterations, but the classic form of collaborative law is actually to push the attorneys off to the side and start with somebody called a family coach, who is usually somebody with a clinical background in mm-hmm. social work. Often the they are a couples therapist, and they will actually run the team. Mm-hmm. They and they they are neutral. Yeah. Okay. Then you have the two attorneys. And the addition of the two attorneys, this is why I think it's it's an it's a huge advantage over mediation is that their loyalties are to their clients first and the process second. Mm-hmm. So they will then uh advocate for them but in this but in this forum. In, in the team process. But, and now this is where you come in, Francis, is there can be, in certain cases, a financial neutral. Mm-hmm. And what they are doing, which I learned more about this weekend when I went to the, in, to the conference, is that they are preparing budgets for the family. They do a budget, a current budget, and then they do prospective budgets for each individual prospective household going forward. Sure. And from that needs-based paradigm or or lens, they then figure out things like child support and spousal support. Right. Now, if you were in strictly in a court-based setting, yeah. um you could advocate for yourself and and want uh on a needs basis. The court can't really do that for everybody. The court can't give you such a particularized treatment. The court has formulas. Absolutely. Right? You make X, you pay X. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Plug in the numbers. That's it. Alimony. Oh, it's the alimony law is crazy because Mm. the new one we got passed. Well, it's not so new. In 2012 was, oh, it's between, you know, 33 and 30, 35%. I, I think those are the percentages. Don't quote me on it. Of of the difference between the parties' incomes, mm. and it, it drives it drives attorneys crazy. Yeah, and it's it, not it, so it's, great for the person paying the alimony either. I, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The the difficulty here is that, and uh, and I tell clients this all the time, you most people have a two income household, and when you divorce, you not only no longer have your two income household, you now have two households on the same income. And it it always seems to end up with somebody saying, well, I can't afford to live on my own, so you're going to have to pay more of my bills. Mm-hmm. But that person n- can't necessarily afford it either because you've just – it's like buying a, a vacation home and then stocking it with a whole family that needs more supplies, right? right. The expense of running two households and juggling children between them and, and all of that is so vast and I think so many people don't really recognize that. They think in terms of, well, we'll sell this house and we'll split the the profit from it, the equity, and we'll each get another house. 
and they're thinking in terms of what, well, I pay this much in a mortgage, I can pay that much in a mortgage then. It just isn't going to work that way unless you have a lot of money, which um, which does lead me to ask you a question. Uh, but I'm, do we have enough time to? We have enough time for one more question, okay. and then we'll come so back. One one big question, and I'd like to talk to you about this um, this conference that you went to. But one big question is: it sounds pretty expensive to have two attorneys, a therapist, and a financial neutral involved, plus a family coach. Who are your typical clients? Who can afford this? I have to say that most of my clients cannot afford this, and that's why we are flexible in the collaborative field. Mm -hmm. Um, Typically, I will work with just two attorneys, both of whom have mediation training and collaborative law training. Yes. And what we do is we literally uh, put – take on the mindset that we are going to collaborate to get this done. We're going to share information. We're going to uh, basically uh, get our clients on the same Zoom. We do a lot a lot of our work by Zoom. Mm. And we are going to get into this problem-solving mode together. And then if we need a financial neutral, we'll call that person in and work asynchronously with sure. the financial neutral. Great. All right. We will have much more. We're going to be right back with part two of Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram. It's coming up next on WHMP. Have you heard about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to getthetea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's getthetea.com. Enter code TEA123 for 10% off exclusively for my listeners. Getthetea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, the Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. Well, I tried another outfit out of Florida. Their help was to take my money, and you're on your own with problems that, that we create for you. This, it's different. It makes me more confident. The ads that I have heard on the radio uh, were true. She's honestly truly concerned that people's lives improve by getting a handle on their finances. I actually have more peace about where my finances are going from here. Yeah, it's like light at the end of the tunnel that's not a train coming your way. (laughs) Hug works best when we work together. Schedule your free consultation with a Hug Your Money coach today. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented. Financial literacy and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum, and I love when we have a guest in. Oh, it's one of my favorite things. Who wants to hear me talk all the time, right? <laughs> Even in my regular show, Jess jumps in and asks these great questions, and it always brings us in another direction. And speaking of another direction, just before the break, you mentioned that you do a lot of things on Zoom. And we too, right? All of our meetings are virtual now. But but it did occur to me that that might be a very favorable thing in a divorce 
where you don't have to be in the same room. You don't have to have gotten into your car, gone to court. There's a lot of anxiety. You can dial into the meeting by Zoom. You're in your own space, and and the people are in 2D. So do you find that it's changed your practice or changed the outcome of – do people agree more easily because they're on Zoom? A great deal. Yes, it has changed things. Um, for the better, there are there are certain things that are better and certain things that are – I, I miss about being in person. I'll mm-hmm. give you examples of each. Um, sometimes um, it has helped, and this hasn't happened to me. It's happened, happened to one of my good colleagues where things get really emotionally tough. He will ask one party to mute themselves and turn off their video. And that, without that visual distraction, mm. the spouse who feels uh, – kind of uh, uh, is having a tough time can speak and just focus one-on-one with the mediator. Mm-hmm. It is as though the other spouse has stepped out of the room, right? but that other spouse is there to still listen to what they're saying. Sure. And then the mediator will, will then say, turn them back on mm-hmm. and say, okay, did you have a chance to listen to them? What, what did you think of that? Do you think there's something we could work with there. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's helped a great deal. But I have to tell you, uh, the opposite is also true because I went recently to a three-way, uh, a mediation. We call it attorney-assisted mediation. Mm-hmm. And then the mediator was sitting there. And the attorney, who I know very well, was uh, sitting opposite me. And I could finally, seeing her from the neck down, I could see what paper she had in front of her, and I knew what topic she was going to move to next, uh-huh. <laughs> just by which paper she was taking out of her yes. folder. And I was like, aha, we don't get this on Zoom. This is this is pretty nice. Well, anybody who's ever worked with body language will tell you, I have a number of therapists as clients, and and they some of them are okay with it. They feel like it it disarms the people a little bit more. And as you said, sometimes you can have breakthroughs because they are not in the room with you. But uh, the more seasoned therapists that I've talked to often miss the body language. They they can't see what's going on down here as I'm talking with my hands or people are shifting in their chairs. They don't always see that or they don't see them wringing their hands, for instance, and feeling really nervous. And so you only get this little, you know, box from your shoulders up to to uh, to judge them by. It makes me think about how difficult it is in divorce for families with children. And I, I know you involve a therapist uh, when necessary for the children. So can you give me an idea of how that goes within collaborative law compared to how it might just go if you have a traditional divorce where you each get attorneys, they're arguing, the kids are caught in the middle, you're going to court, and a judge is making a decision? Yes. Well, I think it's my wiser clients will involve a, a child therapist from the get-go or at least Notify the school adjustment counselor mm-hmm. that this is what the family is going through right now. Could you just like talk to the teacher, have more eyes on the child? Yes, that's a good this, idea. That's a yeah, great idea. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, because school adjustment counselors are, are are just fabulous in my experience, and they know a lot. And you, but the child is there most of the most of the day, and then using that information. Um, Getting a therapist for a child would be very good. It's so difficult now. They all have waiting lists. Um, So I tell my families to try to get on the waiting list as soon as possible. Um, 
The other nice thing is that there are some therapists in the Valley who have worked with families in divorce and are cross-trained to also work with children. Mm -hmm. So it may not be that your child has to be in therapy, you know, twice a month for the next year. Right. It could be an as-needed basis. Uh, So, yes, that's the beauty of collaborative law, that you can patch in a professional like that. Well, I don't think it would matter how well-adjusted your kids are. Um, They're used to one life with two parents. And when you start to change that, you're going to have some hiccups. Um, speaking of changing things, and I do want to get to this conference you went to, but I cannot let the show go by <laughs> without talking about the court budget. When we have clients who say they're getting divorced, they're filling out that budget form. Oh, yes. Oh, I hate that budget form. <laughs> oh, t- is, don't get me started. Don't. It's so antiquated and it's so inadequate. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, how much, first of all, it's on a weekly basis. Yes. Who thinks about their finances on a weekly no basis? Yes. Right? Yes. Secondly, it's all these sort of big block numbers. How much do you spend in groceries? It's all estimates. Yes. So, so what happens, what I see happen a lot is that uh, when somebody comes to me, they've got their budget filled out and they're saying, I'm going through a divorce. Would you take a look at this? Mm-hmm. And I look at it and I say, where are the holiday expenses? Where's your excise tax? Where are the surprise things? What about your co-pays, your prescriptions? Where, where is this stuff on here? Oh, well, it's, it's kept very simple. And so then what happens is they, that somebody makes a decision about an equitable arrangement, right? There's a comment about a good divorce is where no party is quite happy, right? No, both, you, you both end parties up with two, two households that are equally less well off. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, you know, what happens is decisions, lifetime decisions are made on these numbers that are put on this really shabby, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get phone calls about this one, I'm sure. <laughs> but there's really inadequate budget. And so what we do is probably what you're doing as well is to make a budget by tracking the real life expenses and then bringing that to the table. And so that each party can really see, you know, it isn't that I don't want to pay you alimony or it isn't that you need this money or don't need this money just because we're mad at each other, right? Mm-hmm. We're angry with each mm-hmm. other. It's really because this is the, these are the numbers. Well, so. you know, I've taken that form and I'm working with a, a, an attorney in Worcester who uh, basically put together a much, he put in additions to that form. So it's basically a spreadsheet again, but yeah. then he lists all the types of, of, Things that a modern household uses, yes. your, your, Internet. your Disney Plus right. subscription, <laughs> you know, gifts when the yes. kids go out to parties and they have to buy gifts. That's and right. it's so thoughtful and it's so wonderful. I mean, I, I, use, I use that all the time. The other thing that he's come up with is a monthly budget. Mm-hmm where you, you can do that. I mean, sure. it's not as good as yours, but... Oh, come on now. <laughs> but it, Budgets but, are pretty simple when you do them right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And in fact, it, this helped a great deal recently because we we're in a divorce and what was going to make the divorce work was to get new housing for the wife and she was house shopping mm-hmm. and we had the budget down and she had listed something like $250 a week for food. Yeah. And she says, how am I going to do it? And, you know, the other collaborative attorney says, well, you're going to have to spend less on food. And luckily she could figure it out. She said, "Yes, yeah, I think I can. I think I can do it. It's an argument I have a lot about food with people, about groceries. We shop at Whole Foods. We shop at wherever. And, you know, it's more expensive and we want these things. It's about choices. You know, you're spending – I had somebody the other day spending $2,400 a month, I think, on food. And I said, this is exorbitant. I know you want to feed your family, but really you can do this on less. 
and uh, and it's just about choices. You know, do you want to? Sp- is it more important to you to spend that on food and cut back somewhere else, or can you change that around mm-hmm. and be able to have you know a lower right. food budget? It, yeah. Um, so you went to this conference. I, I had we had booked this show just before the conference. So yes. how, how long do we have, Jess? We're at twenty two minutes. Okay. So can you tell, wait, tell Lisa how long that is. We oh, still need another. We, we have five minutes. Five minutes. Okay. okay thank you. Thanks. Five, six minutes. So can you tell us about this uh, conference that you went to Toronto? Right. So I remember I was talking about Stu Webb. Uh, Stu Webb started an association uh, called the International Association of Collaborative Professionals, IACP. And since uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's become a huge worldwide movement, mm. in, and not surprisingly, because it makes so much sense. Sure. And it has also grown not just from divorce, but to uh, business lawyers, lawyers who would otherwise advise people on, on closely held family businesses, most commonly, which mm. are like family, mm-hmm. often involve family members and sure. are like divorces when yes. you have to d- dissolve them. Um, there were... There usually there was about 350 of us together mm-hmm. in Toronto, and we, we had a blast because, as you could imagine, collaborative people are nice people, yes. uh, and we we had a, a tremendous time, um, basically cross pollinating a great deal between uh, talking to the therapists mm-hmm. uh, about how they work, and then the lawyers were. We're, we're learning from the therapists, and the therapists were learning things from the lawyers as well. And then the financial uh, people were learning kind of from both. <laughs> That's yes. kind of the, the triad that, that came out from yeah. this conference. Well, you, I just want to pipe in for one second. Do, do you ever have, I know it's a collaborative process, so hopefully at that point you're kind of getting along well enough to do that. But does anybody come in and feel like the spouse is being favored? Uh Yes, yes, and we that that always happens. Okay, um, and it's always like a, a shifting balance board uh, between that. And we the beauty of collaborative law is you can you can uh, address that. And okay. attorneys that that was actually a point of training mm-hmm. um, because you will come in and one attorney I talked to said you preps his his client by saying you will hear me being really nice. To your spouse, I know you're not feeling very nice, nicely toward your spouse and having students, but I'm going to be talking to her and asking her questions and being very friendly. Just be aware of that so you don't think it. I'm not favoring you, mm-hmm. okay? Very good question. Uh, yeah, I can imagine that being a problem. Jess always asks the greatest <laughs> questions. She really does. Yeah. Um, can I ask what... I'm going to go way back now and just say, when did you know you wanted to be an attorney? Oh, my goodness. I think I, I was going to say when I, uh, maybe nine or ten years old. Wow. Uh, really? <laughs> you were winning arguments with your parents and uh, deciding you were really good at uh, persuasion? Yes, I wanted to be an attorney or or a, a psychologist, uh, And yeah. I, I think. And, and then after graduating with a liberal arts degree, um, you know, and and doing some teaching internationally in Japan, yeah. and then uh, coming back, I realized i i wanted I wanted to be able to have power and use it wisely, yeah, in a very very broad way. And I've done a lot of different types of law. I was a commercial litigator for a long time. I worked for the New Jersey State Legislature and drafted bills. Um, I 
did many type of uh, types of of work, but um, this speaks to my heart. Oh, I'm so glad, and I want to thank you for being a guest. But uh, just one last thing, I would ask: What advice would you give to somebody if they are considering? You know, divorce is right on the edge. They're considering getting divorced, uh, and they don't know where to go for help. Well, I think early intervention is your best tool. Uh, is your best work. Um, we are rebuilding the Massachusetts Collaborative Law Council, which is our local group, is rebuilding their website, and I, we hope to put up some informational videos. I am working on some informational videos on my own website, www.esserkent.com. Um, but I, I will give a, a short a consultation uh, to you, and we can assess what kind of process is right. I can't tell you for sure where you'll end up, but you have to know what 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 to use, what process would suit your family best. Is it a free consultation? A free initial brief consultation. Yes. And then if we want to get more in depth and you want to have more substance, which sure. you will need, I, I do I do paid consultations. Yes, of course. So I really want to thank you, Lisa, for coming in and talking about this collaborative law practice. And I I hope that it, it might help someone who is going through a divorce to get through it more smoothly. Um, and so thank you, Lisa Kent from Esser Family. No, Esser Kent Esser. Family <laughs> Law. But I'm going to be changing the name soon. So maybe we'll do another show and I'll come back on when in my new iteration. Let's yeah. do that last part just one more time. So es- thank you, Lisa, for coming to join us from Esser Kent Family Law in Amherst. And I understand you might be changing the name. Yes, to be to be continued. Okay. Yes. Great. Thank you very much. We will have you come back definitely for another part. This was just so interesting. Um, I'm sure people are going to have questions, so let's get your phone number. Uh, they can reach us at 413-773-3333 or at info at hugyourmoney.com. And as always, if you want to send in a question and we use it on the air, you can get a copy of the book, which you are revamping. Actually, that's oh. big news. I didn't even get a chance to tell you about it. Right. It has been... Uh, um, Reissued, re- reissued, revamped, re- re-released. Re-released. It has been re-released and the uh, title now, and it has lots of updated information and expanded information about retirement, et cetera. The title now is Retire Debt and Retire Well. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you both. We'll be back again next Saturday with another edition of Financial Fitness right here on WHMP. Have you heard about Get The Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to getthetea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's getthetea.com. Enter code TEA123 for 10% off exclusively for my listeners. Getthetea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, the Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. I hate to say this, but I've always felt like we'll be okay. I'll take care of it. I'll make sure it happens. It'll be good. It'll be fine. But it wasn't going to be fine, and I knew it, and I still struggle the next eight years. My name is Bill. I'm Jill. What we originally wanted to accomplish was just to get ourselves even Steven, you know. And now we have money in the bank, money in the annuity, 
and I'd see retirement in two and a half months. I mean, if this is what three years of just watching your money can do for you, get started now. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, how your money just turned our life around. <laughs> Debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Schedule your free consultation with a Hug Your Money coach today. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented. Financial literacy and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Hello. Well, hello, Jess. How are you? I am excellent, and we have a guest this week. We have a very special guest today. We have Joel. Joel is a local guy who's been a client of ours for years and recently, recently had an experience that he has been uh, generous enough and brave enough to come on the air and share with us in, in hopes that he will prevent other people from having the same experience. Hi, Joel. Uh, hello there. I'm sorry you're not joining us under better circumstances, but what, what happened? Well, uh, I had... Uh... Uh, a guy stop out of the blue saying that they had a leftover pavement mm. from a paving job and uh, they could do my driveway for it's cheap and I so I allowed them to take to to do the job and did you pay up uh, front no, actually, there was no contract. There was They didn't give me an estimate, even though I tried several times to get an idea of how much this thing was going to run before they even started. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just smokescreened me all the way through until the job was done. And then, and then the price comes out. You know, Jess, the reason I wanted to have Joel on the air, and I'm so glad that he agreed to do this, is that we talk often about these scams, and sometimes I run into people and they say, I hear you on the air talking about that. Who would ever fall for those things? Mm -hmm. I always say the same thing. You have to understand how clever the people are that are perpetrating these scams. If they weren't, they would never make any money, and they would stop scamming people. But this scam is so prevalent that and we can tell the story, but when, when Joel called me, what happened? But when we were talking to the Attorney General's office, I got as far as to say, so let me tell you what happened here briefly. I said, a man pulled into his driveway, and she stopped us cold, and Joe can correct me if I'm wrong. I got that far. A man pulled into his driveway, mm-hmm. and the woman at the Attorney General's office said, oh, pavement scam. Oh, so they've gotten a bunch of calls already. Isn't that true, Joe? Oh, yes, absolutely. She she stopped us cold and told us what the problem was. Oh, no. Yeah, and then when we got to the bank, and again, we'll talk to people about what they need to do to prevent this or how to correct it if it happens. Um, when when Joel got to the bank and we talked to the banker, she said immediately, well, you're, you need to understand, you're not the first person to fall for this. A lot of people are scammed like this, you know, because it's so typical for people who have been scammed to be very embarrassed, very shy, uh, and to not want to admit to anybody that they've been scammed. And that's what makes them pay the people, mm-hmm. right? They they don't want to tell anybody. So they say, oh, i got to correct this. I've got to pay this. I, you know, don't tell anybody because you feel foolish. But in Joel's case, you know, this guy pulls into his driveway. Joel asks him for a quote, doesn't get it. Instead, he gets the the smooth approach, you know, oh, don't worry, it's extra, we got to put it down, it's going to be cheap. And we're not talking about a little cold patch at the end of your driveway, folks, right? 
we're not talking about we got a couple of shovels left in the truck. Do you want us to patch up this hole? Mm-hmm. These people told him they had enough pavement to do his entire driveway, which is fairly long. Yeah, but I could say, too, like that these scams are situational because that does make sense. There might be some jobs that you use less, you know, stuff to pave the driveway and you had it extra and could be trying to make a few extra bucks. I mean, I might fall for this, too. Well, I think it is really common. But I was saying to Joel, you know what? If they had so much extra pavement on their trucks, Mm -hmm. they had enough to do your entire driveway. A, they're not very good at their job. Or B... (laughs) It's already been paid for. Mm. Somebody else who they did a legitimate job for got charged twice as much. Right. Maybe. Now, we don't know for sure, but this is how these things happen. So now they've got pavement, free pavement in their truck. They're going to get anything they can for it. And they drive around and they look for people who don't have a paved driveway. And they do this. So, Joel, will you talk a little bit about what happened when the guy came into your driveway, you know, he looked professional. He had, you know, the right things to say. How how did this happen that you felt like, okay, I need to pull the trigger right now and say yeah? <laughs> I don't know. I think my brain went into neutral somewhere along the way there. But um, he was he, he pulled in and well, he was super friendly and he was. Uh, did he seem professional? He, he seemed professional, but he was also very talkative. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, whenever I, uh, whenever I hemmed and hawed, it was like he, he came up with some statement that kept me from speaking. So he kind, oh, of, had a, he kind of had an answer to everything. Yeah, answer to everything. Yes, that's, that's the way to put it. And, uh, except for answer to specific questions like how much is this going to cost? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I should have I should have shut it down there, right there. But I didn't. And as, as soon as as soon as he got an okay, yeah, I uh, okay, uh, I'll let you do it. The trucks were here within five minutes. Wow. Mm. They were. I mean, they were. They were just up the road. I didn't know that. Yeah. When, and then. Uh, they had well there was there was there was three pavement trucks, and there was one of which they they took pavement out of that I think the other two might have been empty, but I'm not sure, and they had all the equipment, all the people, everybody was there, and yeah. uh they just wanted to get it down fast, i guess yeah. you know and get get out of there it's interesting when um when Joel called me and told me this, I started to call people that I knew mm-hmm. who didn't have paved driveways, and I started to say, you need to be aware of the scam. And some people thanked me immediately, but my sister, who I called, said, oh, my gosh, no, we know all about that. People were here two days ago. Mm-hmm. This. this is my own sister. This is a pretty small world here, right? And uh, she said the same thing. The guy pulled in in a, in a truck that was marked with company information. He got out, and he explained that he had extra pavement, and they had to put it somewhere or it was going to harden in the truck, and they can't have that, all of these logical explanations. So she said, she's pretty sharp, but she said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll allow you to get it out of your truck and put it down here so that you don't have to pay the fee to get rid of it. (laughs) (laughs) And they said, oh, no, 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 they they wanted to, you know, get her to pay money, and she just said, look, I I think it's time that you leave. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they did leave. Now, in Joel's case, 
the way that we found out about this is poor Joel called me first thing the next morning. I think it was 7.30 in the morning. My phone rang, you know, can you call me immediately? So the people had paved his driveway. And then the reason the scam has worked on so many people is because you, you feel like a heel. Like they did their job, the pavement's in your driveway, you're supposed to pay them. Let me just point out that they didn't give an estimate in advance. They didn't give a quote. They didn't get a signed contract. By the way, they didn't pull a permit. Hello, town, are you listening? They didn't pull a permit. (laughs) And threw this pavement down, rolled it out. And then at the end, there was a part that he wanted fixed, and they said they'd send a guy back in a few days or whatever. Are you required to pay for that then, though, if, they, if none of that happened? So that would be the point, wouldn't it? Okay. <laughs> so Joel has a free driveway right now. Uh, let's talk about that for a moment, the legality of that. And, and I'm not a lawyer, but, you know, in Massachusetts, we have a three-day right to rescind. If you decide you're going to buy windows from somebody and you sign the contract, you have three days to change your mind and say, I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? That's to give people time to to get their feet under them instead of feeling like they signed something under duress. In Joel's case, they didn't give him any estimate. They just showed up on the spot, which is how these things work. You know, there's a lot of pressure here. Hey, we got it. We got to hurry up and make this decision. We got to get it out of our truck. We'll put it down. It'll be really cheap, blah, 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 blah. That term fast talker comes to mind when I just did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they come and they put the driveway down. And meanwhile, the guy who's quote, the bird dog. He's the guy that goes out and tries to find the person who's, gonna, who's going to pay the money, right? So he's bird dogging it. He's got the trucks up the street, and the story is almost always the same. We're doing a job up the street, and we have this extra pavement. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do with it? And again, this pavement has probably been paid for by somebody else who has also been duped who doesn't even know it. They just got a quote for twice as much money or enough money to cover the materials, and they've paid their part. And now these guys have some free free pavement Mm -hmm. that that they want to get down. And you've got a driveway that needs to be paved, and it's a very expensive thing. And when the guy shows up and says, we'll do it for cheap, you know, it seems like, okay, i got an opportunity knocking here. I have to make this decision right away. So your question is, are you required to pay for it? And what I said to Joel when he called me, poor Joel, he called me and said, you know, I, they wanted one check right away, and they asked for a post-dated check for the rest of it. Mm-hmm. After he talked them down, and I'll, I'll let Joel talk about that, but uh, you can't do a post-dated check in Massachusetts. It's good the moment you write it. So we had to move fast, and we did, and Joel was, you know, thankfully saved, we saved his money. But, you know, then the guy tried calling him and all of that. But maybe, you know, are you required to pay for it? Again, not an attorney, but I'm going to say no. <laughs> Well, and also I'm, when you're talking about a right to rescind for three days, once it's poured on your driveway, you, I mean, yeah. what are you going to do? Well, the right to rescind would come into play if he had actually signed a contract. Mm-hmm. But they didn't ask him to sign a contract. They just put the pavement down. Later, the guy walked up and said, here, sign this, which I think is somewhat of an invoice, uh, after the fact. And that's when Joel... Well, Joel, tell us that's when you found out what. <laughs> well, let's get to the story for the second half here because we're running out of time, and I, there's definitely so much more to the story. So first, let me get your phone number. Thank you. It's 413-773-3333. Or you can visit HugYourMoney.com, and we will hear directly from Joel coming up for part two of Financial Fitness with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram. That's next on WHMP. Have you heard about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high-quality standards. You can not find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. 
Go to GetTheTea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's GetTheTea.com. Enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, GetTheTea.com, code TEA123. Order today. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler, along with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, and we have a special guest today. That's you, Joel. <laughs> oh, okay. That's me. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Joel. We've been hearing about your story. You kind of got scammed some pavement. Can you tell us what happened? Oh, well, uh, I already mentioned it. This this guy drives in out of the blue. He's got an official uh, a pickup uh, with equipment on it and uh, signage on it and talks to me about having leftover payment from a previous job. Uh, says he thinks he's sure he's got enough to, to do my driveway and uh, it'd be cheap. And less than half price and all of this stuff. And uh, I couldn't get him to give me a quote, uh, a guesstimate, an estimate. He wouldn't take his measurer out and measure the driveway to give me an idea how much it would be. And in spite of all that, I allowed it to happen and and told him yes. And like five to seven minutes later, all trucks pulled down down the road. Had three paving trucks. One that they were wanting to empty the the paver, the the small roller out machine that they had, and, and I don't know a crew of seven to ten people, maybe more. And um, they just you know they dug out some part of the drive that needed needed leveling and stuff, and they did that and put the pavement down. Uh, the guy that was doing the roller machine was actually identified to me as, as the guy's father. And I asked him, well, how much is this going to be cost? And he didn't tell me. And, and he just referred me to the son. Mm-hmm. He would not say. And uh, in, in the process, I, I, I just didn't get a price. And at the end of the whole thing, came down and he had his calculator in his hand. He measured it out and said it was 80 by 10 and a half feet. Now I measured the width. It's not 10 and a half feet. It's nine and a half feet. Mm-hmm. I have to measure the length of it and I'll do that today, but um, I'm pretty sure that's probably not accurate either. But by his chosen measurements, he, he uh, got a bottom line of $8,820. Wow. And I told him, I said, this is why I told you I wanted a price quote. I don't have that money. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, well, yeah, you can, you can just, you know, just, you know, let me know how much, how much you can, you know what I'm saying? And he and I just kept insisting I didn't, I couldn't afford it, and it came down eventually to 7000 and then I went in and uh, checked my bank account and figured out I could give him a check for 1800 and that was all I could give him. Mm-hmm. And that pretty much wiped out, would have wiped out uh, my extra emergency funds. And um, when I told him, I said, well, I have this $1,800. I can give you a check for that now, and I don't have any more. Mm-hmm. And he... 
I don't know where along the way I must have mentioned that I had an IRA or something. And he said, well, you can top your IRA. It says it only takes like three, four day business days to get that money. And and uh, you can post-date a check for next week and all that. And they were standing on my deck, and I knew darn well they weren't going to leave until they had something in hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I started writing the checks out... He wanted me to write the first check, the $1,800 check, to him personally, Robert Cooper. Um, and I wrote it out, and then the other one to the business for 5000 post-dated for what would be this week. And I asked him, why the personal check? Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, it's a, it's a way to avoid taxes. <laughs> oh, man. What? Mm. I, I mean, that was his direct comment. He, he, there was no hesitation in his, in, you know, he just figured he had me, I guess. And um, yeah. then we, they, and then, you know, all the other trucks were getting loaded up and everything, and everybody else was scattering to their vehicles. And uh, some of them had driven off. I was walking the distance of the, tr- of the pavement with him, this guy. Mm-hmm. Rob. And uh, the the edge up towards the road was wasn't smoothed out. It was there was a ridge there, and I know my plow guy would you know he'll catch that and tear it right out. Mm-hmm. In addition to maybe damaging his truck, so I told him I said this has got it. This isn't right. I said that's got to be smooth uh, a smooth scene so that the plow the plow guy can get through here without damaging anything. And he mentioned, oh, maybe I'll, I'll have somebody come up and uh, put a patch in there. Maybe we'll go right to the road and all of that. And, mm-hmm. But now, you know, looking at hindsight, he's just throwing, throwing a lot of crap out. Right. So you get the, So you call Francis, and Francis, you get this call, and then what, what do you do? Yeah, so I'd like to talk a little bit about how these scams happen and then also but what we did. So the first thing we did is... You know, Joel called me really embarrassed. You can even hear it in his voice now, like I allowed this to happen, you know. The guilt and the shame is always there in these scams. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're calling me. You want to get money out of your IRA. You spend your emergency savings. What? No, stop, stop. Tell me about this paving thing. So he tells me, and I say, you know, I this has scam written all over it. Mm-hmm. So immediately, you know, I was trying to think of where he could get very quick legal advice. He had written these checks at at 7 o'clock at night, uh, and he was calling me at 7.30 in the morning the next day. And I'm thinking, we've got to stop payment on these checks and get some legal advice. And we weren't going to get an attorney to respond that quickly, but we did call the attorney general's office, who does not give legal advice, but they're a consumer advocacy group. And that's the woman who said immediately when I said a guy pulled into his driveway and she stopped us and said, oh, pavement scam. Right. So first thing was that he had to file a complaint with the uh, attorney general's office, which he's done. Mm-hmm. Second thing was he needed to file a police report. Now, Joel lives in a very small town, and there were no police on duty for the weekend, but they did send a state police officer to his house to take this report, which he gave. And then the third thing, which got, we got on very quickly, was get to the bank and stop payment on these checks. Mm-hmm. And so Joel got there in like 10 minutes. And while he was there, something happened that I'd like you all to tell you. And then I'll tell you a little bit more about why these scams are successful. Okay. Well, we, uh, I, I got to the bank, and I was in, in the process. Well, the bank 
the bank's suggestion was to cancel the entire checking account and set a new one. Okay. Uh, in the process, but I, I got in there, and, I, and the first thing to do was was sign the stop payment on those two checks. And probably about I don't know, maybe seven to ten minutes after I signed that stop payment on those, he tried to cash the first check. Ooh, that and was that close. <laughs> and you're still at the bank, and they're telling you this, right? Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, uh, one of the tellers came into the office where we were and and said uh, just to confirm that I had signed the stop payment on that check. So they, call, I mean, it was a different branch that was checking in on this on this thing because they they had made a, a state uh, a statement of. Uh, stop payment when we called the bank, but I had to sign the paper to make sure it, it, you know, it, it was confirmed. That's so good you so, got there before they could do it. It, it is. I mean, when we were trying to get Joel to the bank quickly enough to stop payment on it, I did ask the uh, person I was speaking to from the bank, can you put like a super stop on it, meaning you stop all checks because the worry, the reason the bank wanted him to open a new account is when you've got somebody unscrupulous already trying to rip you off, you don't know if they're going to try to mimic the checks or, you know, they've got your account information at that point. Mm-hmm. So she was ready to put a super stop on it, which means nothing comes through. And Joel was saying, wait, I have an automatic payment. I have this. You know, it's complicated, right? These people turn your life upside down. But, in fact, he got there quickly enough to stop the payment on these two checks. Now, after that, you know, the reason I wanted him to put a police report in, in addition to the obvious, is, you know, you just had an experience with 10 guys hanging around your deck waiting for you to write a check. Now, if that's not under duress, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think he's very brave to come on the air and talk about this and to have held his ground on this. Many people would have said, well, you know, the pavement's in my driveway. I would have had it paid someday anyway. I guess I have the money. I guess I'll pay it. Mm-hmm. And that's why these scams are perpetuated, you know, that that they do, that the amount of guilt they can make you feel because they've done work in your on your property. But you have to stand your ground and say, no, I know my rights. You didn't give me a quote. You came in instantly. Let's just do the work right now. Never a price. After the fact, you give me a bill and you ask me to sign it. This is not okay with 10 guys standing around doing the work, you know, and and as he said, after he signed the check, they scattered, right? They have the money. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that that extra check was not, in fact, to avoid taxes, although I'm sure there's plenty of that that never gets reported. The way these things often work is you have one person who's what I call a bird dog. They go out in their little pickup truck and they drive around and they look for you know, suspecting houses, right? This this looks like uh, it doesn't have a driveway and it looks like the guy maybe, you know, has enough money or can't afford much or whatever they're looking for. And then that person goes in and nails the deal. Now, admittedly, the people that work for him or her may not know they're working for a scam artist at all. Mm-hmm. They may be just going out doing their job. But usually what happens is something like this. The bird dog comes up to you and says, I want you to write two checks, one for 1800 and the other one you can post date for 5000 He takes the 1800 and puts it in his pocket. He goes back to the crew and says, look, we just got $5,000 for this job. Here it is, a post-dated check. See it? Mm-hmm. 
So they think they're getting paid on a $5,000 job. Now, maybe they all are in on the scam, maybe not. We don't know. But certainly the guy who is asking you for two checks, one made out to him personally, which never should be the case, knows darn well what's happening. The second one gets made out to the company, and now these people think that driveway costs Mm $5,000. Meanwhile, this guy's got his $1,800 in the pocket plus his share of the $5,000 when they get it. So when I said it had scam written all over it, I really mean all over it. You know, so so Joel ended up, you know, calling me, as I said, wanting this money. And it isn't, I mean, it's his money. He can have it for whatever he wants. But it didn't sound like he was very happy about having agreed to this. Right. Now, I will say on the other side of the coin, if a contractor does work on your house and you don't pay them, their recourse is to go to court and get something called a mechanics lien. In other words, they can lean against your house for the cost of the work, and if you sell your house, they get paid. Mm-hmm. However, it has to be a legal contract. <laughs> you know, hey, I had a scam and he didn't pay me. I'm guessing isn't going to fly too well in court, not that you would go there. So, right. But it's so scary. I mean, picture that just for a moment, that image of these guys standing around, and as Joel said, they weren't going to leave until they got a check. Oh, yeah, it definitely sounds yeah. intimidating and also something that a lot, a lot of people obviously are believing them because of all the phone calls coming in. Yes. So, Joel, will you, we, we don't have a lot of time left, but will you tell me what kind of contact you, they've had with you since and what, what has happened? Because I've been privy to your messages, but let's just tell people how this is playing out. Well, the, uh, that, of course, that was in Friday morning that I canceled those checks and, and I got numerous calls. Most of them were uh, unidentifiable calls on the caller ID. Uh, one, he left a message stating, this is a paving guy, call me back. That one phone number was on the caller ID. I have, I just did not make contact with him. I didn't answer any of the phone calls. Mm-hmm. And... Um, over the last 24 hours, there's been no calls. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, if I'll hear from them again or not. But well, I, I always let the answer machine take it if it's something I don't know uh, who it is. Yeah, and I think the good news is I, I did get a text from Joel saying, you know, do I call this guy back? And I said, under no circumstances, do you engage with this person again. Mm-hmm. But it's already been almost disastrous once. They're slick. You don't talk to them. Right. But the best here is Joel has filed a police report with the state police, and he knew who he was dealing with. It wasn't like, hey, there was some guy on the phone I can't find. He had company information, phone numbers, you know, people's uh, appearances, descriptions. He had all of that. So my guess would be by now the state police have contacted this guy, and that's why Joel's not hearing from them. (laughs) So, you know, it's really, these scams are always awful, but this one... I never like any of them, but this one I think is particularly terrible because it has the the element of invasion. Mm-hmm. They know where they live, they've been there, they've done work, they've they've shown you that there's you know ten guys hanging around with big trucks, and you know what I mean. Yeah, it's but, an invasion but, definitely of your privacy. Violet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, Joel is no shrinking violet, and he knows how to stand his ground. I really I'm hope so- this. I hope this works out, and I hope you end up getting a free driveway out of it, and they catch this guy for sure. Well, it would be it would be good to know that uh, we could at least uh, protect some folks in the area here. 
I don't know how, how if this guy's even from this area, but uh, I'd like to shut him down if that's possible, but at least make people aware that they're around the area. I, I just want to say one last thing in, in closing. Uh, if Joel's voice sounds familiar to people listening, it's because he has been a client for years, and he was generous enough some time ago to come to the radio station and talk about being what he called a hamster in the wheel. <laughs> and so you will hear that that spot from time to time, and that's the same Joel that is coming to the airways now to try and protect other people from something that is nearly disastrous for him. Joel, thank you so much for sharing your story. We really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank I want to get uh, your phone number one more time. Thanks. It's 413-773-3333. And you can always visit HugYourMoney.com. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor on WHMP.